kind of make those marks. Like Lock supply chain. Radio. Oh. Uh, the system's been on hiatus too, apparently. Oh, what's that? Where was that three minutes ago? Wow. Okay. Anyway, so, so much like our supply chain problems, things are just coming in later than expected. Um, oh. So I'll assume our bumper was caught in a uh, in a cargo container off the coast of California for a few extra minutes. Um, supply chain is interesting. Um, so, and again, I, I won't run through all the stuff now. I'll just kind of give a couple topics so we can circle back. Um, so that's interesting. Um, kind of watching the, not that we're going to dive into politics right away, but watching some of the um, happenings in politics right now, as far as January 6th commission has been interesting. Watching the um, labor market has been fascinating with what people are willing to do and what they're not willing to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So society has been, been, as Confucius liked to say, the, the worst curse you can put on someone is to wish for them to live in interesting times. And here we are. No, no, no joke. So let's hit on the, the labor market because we just got the new um, job openings and labor turnover summary for September. It was released on the 12th. So that was interesting. Basically, uh, three out of four companies, almost 73%, found that they were having difficulty in attracting employees. Like, I kind of feel like this should be a shock to, well, no one. But it seems like it's still quite a shock to employers everywhere. So, you know, I I feel like it's a broken record. We were talking about this a year ago. They were having difficulties attracting employees when they started to hire again. And and now we're we're still going. And 70% of employers feel like it's going to persist into 2022. Mm -hmm. So, are we seeing anything change? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that there's a new element to all of this. And and it's, you know, having um, younger members of our family who are entering the workforce and getting to see how they deal with some of it has been really fascinating. So there's a, um, for whatever reason, there's a much more of a feeling of freedom, I think, in job seekers. They've having lived through the the last year and a half of the pandemic, I think a lot of them have learned to do without. They've learned um, what they really need to get by on and what's important to them. So you'll see a lot of people who are turning down jobs, you know, making under $3 an hour and hoping for, you know, the kindness of patrons to tip them so they can pay their electricity bill. And, and the people who have been in those hospitality jobs saying, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm not going to go break my back on the hopes that I can afford, you know, the bare necessities. Same yeah, thing so with, with uh, minimum wage. Yeah. So when, let's pause it because it sounds like you're talking about service jobs. And when you think about, I mean, which is totally understandable. I haven't worked for $3 an hour well, ever, but, but, but a lot of people have. And we look at those service jobs that we had for many of us, it's in younger years, some of us have second jobs, some of us have primary jobs, but, they they shaped and molded the way we looked at work, right? And and somewhat of a a harsher way in many times because it's difficult to figure out how to live on two eighty plus tips. Employment perspective, service jobs have historically accounted for seventy percent, seventy to eighty percent, something like that, of um all of the employment growth. And so, yeah, it's 86% of all employment in the United States and 79% of economic growth. 
came from the service sector. So to see how badly it's hit now, like I, do we, I guess I have to wonder why companies aren't pivoting faster in that sector. I understand the mom and pops like who may not have the budget for it, but we're not seeing the pivots that I thought I would see in a lot of the larger enterprise organizations in that sector either. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, what needs to give for that kind of thing to change? So I, I feel like we know enough people in the industry that we could track a couple down and have a couple shows. Um, I'm thinking like the Doolins would be great people to have this conversation with. My, my guess is like any other large organization, you know, there's a, a reluctance. If, if you went into any company of, of, you know, medium to large size, however we want to define that, and you said, by the way, we're going to, you know, quadruple our um, salary expenses for our frontline workers um, starting like tomorrow at noon. Uh, I don't think any company would be like, yep, that sounds great. Let's do it. I think every single one of them would balk and be like, no, we can't just pour all this money into salaries. It'll totally upset the way that we do our financials, the way we make money, all of these other things. So yeah, I, but so does employees leaving, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not saying it's a it's a reasonable response, but there's a I think there's this misguided notion that's like, well, if, but if you if you pay people, um, you know, more money. So let, let me let me use that as an example. You know, if you start paying grocery cashiers an extra five dollars an hour, you know, the cost of groceries will go through the roof. Well, well, hang on, like the grocery store started asking me to check my own groceries not too long ago. And I don't remember there being a discount on my grocery bill after that. So like business everywhere has always been about how do we like keep our costs low, which for the most part, your employees are going to be one of your biggest costs. How do we keep that cost down so that we can make money for our shareholders slash owners? And so there's a big piece that when you get right down to it, like the money that's going to go to those frontline employees is coming out of in most cases, the pocket of the owner slash shareholder, right? Because they're not, you know, they're not going to pass it back to the to the uh, consumer, which if they do, then we just look at higher inflation rates, which is what we're seeing all over the globe anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, that all makes sense to me. And I think if, an, if a company can't afford or believes they can't afford to pivot quickly and nimbly to a living wage, like that mm-hmm. has to be a long-term, right? Like it has to. Uh, but if it, if it can in the short run, I think we really need to look at, employers need to look at the flexibility that they offer. Sure. Because the other thing that we found coming out of that report, I mean, there were several things, but another thing that we found out of that report was that the flexible work is still really important for yep. um, for all employees, but particularly in the service industry. And so, you know, it's a barrier for them for continued employment, not just taking a new job, but staying in the job that they're in. And so, Learning how to be flexible is, is going to be important because if yeah, so you and I had a conversation, gosh, uh, months ago, talking about um, and it's it's so hard to get people to come back, right? Like once you work from home and you recognize like you're fully capable of doing your job and you save two hours in commuting, and you don't have to spend more money on work clothes, and, 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 and. To try to get people back in the workplace is really difficult. And I remember a conversation you and I had, and I won't mention the company's name, although you're welcome to, um, a large organization that had talked about going fully remote 
years ago and ended up not doing it because they have so much money sunk into leases, workplaces, yeah, that it just didn't make financial, financial sense, right? Are you still with oh, me? I think that's, yeah, I lost you for a second, but I'm, I'm following what you're saying. And Yeah, I mean, there's that piece. Of course, in the service industry, many, if not most, of, of the people working can't work from home, right? But they can potentially get things like flexible schedules um, that are half shifts instead of full 8, 10, 12, 14 hour shifts, right? I think we've got to look at what are the barriers for working. So if companies are struggling to get employees to stay or new employees to come, you have to look at what are the actual barriers. And I'm shocked by how few companies that we're um, interacting with and and that are, are talking about these challenges have actually surveyed their candidates um, and their disposition candidates and their uh, talent pools to find out, like, what are the barriers for you? What what makes work difficult? What do you need? I would think that would be one of the first things we'd want to do because then they're not guessing. Although I guess when you stop guessing, you have to then actually, well, do something about the the information you have, right? If you don't know, you're not liable for doing anything about it. Um, but, but I think that what all of this has shown us over the last year and a half is, you know, the, and again, this is a, we've actually had this conversation, I think a year and a half ago about, you know, um, the, the ADA, um, requests, um, disability requests to have a flexible workspace or being able to work from home that work turns down. Like, yeah, you're not gonna be able to get away with that anymore because we know the jobs can be done remotely. So there's, there's definitely a divide, like we're uh, white collar, blue collar, right? Manufacturing jobs, you're going to have to be in the manufacturing plant. Uh, marketing jobs, you probably do those from home or, or some hybrid thereof, right? But I've worked right. with enough companies that, you know, after being in business a couple of years, kind of scratch their heads and saying, why are we paying for an office? Like, we're all sitting in our computers. We're all using chat, like, every day anyway. Why are we paying for office space? Is it so we can have a meeting once a year and see everybody? Well, that's we can go to the bar for that and sh- where we end up anyway. So I think you'll see a lot more of that with smaller companies. I think larger companies are going to have to wrestle with, you know, how much money do we really invest in real estate and in our leases? And it'll be slow because, you know, they're monoliths. But I think that over time, the real estate market will probably suffer because you won't have as many large corporations with as much. Um, I suspect, I don't know this, but I suspect that's kind of part of why you're seeing um, all the stories about Zillow's automated system going out and buying up all the properties um, because real estate companies can see that there's a shift coming in how people use um, commercial real estate. So they're hedging their bets and trying to get into the residential market. Hasn't worked out great for them, um, but it doesn't mean it's wrong, right? So there's some long, we talk about long COVID, like this is kind of long COVID of the business world. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Of course, if, you're, if your strategy is buy high, sell low, it's never going to work well for you. Yeah, but it's not a winning hand. But I think I think if right now is the great resignation, and then what we have coming up next is the great adaptation, right? Companies are going to have to make changes. And I think a lot of that is going to how, how successful companies are will be dependent on what they do in a couple of areas. One, what kind of listening do they do? I mean, are they still there, – there's historically been – companies telling employees how they feel companies telling employees what they need right that stuff doesn't fly as well anymore yeah it never really does but 
it's, it's not as tolerated in the last few years as it has been in the past. And so I think companies are going to have to invest more in social listening, um, employee listening, and, and like traditional marketing, if you're in the recruitment marketing and employer branding space, you're going to have to invest in um, candidate insights, right? So consumer marketing does a lot with um, consumer insights and, and customer insights. We don't do a ton outside of the Candidate Experience Awards, which, by the way, that program, the, the awards, is tomorrow. So oh. if you haven't gotten your ticket, there's still time to do so. Contact Kevin Grossman or the talent um, – or, sorry, the um, the candies. <laughs> My brain just broke. So you can do that. Um, another thing is, is, like, in addition to that listening piece, if we just don't do very much of it, I think we're going to have to look at creating our own, right? And so you can work – with um, insight agencies, research agencies. You can do some Googling and figure out how to do a lot of this on your own. Um, employer branding agencies can typically help you as well. I know my firm does that exactly or does that. Um, there's, there's some really good insight firms that you can tap into. But to get an understanding of what people are struggling with, and it's not just what they're struggling with at work that we have to pay attention to. When you're in the employment realm, you have to pay attention to what are the needs that they have outside of work. What are their interests outside of work? What are their challenges, right? And that's a lot that I think companies are not wrapping their arms around. Yeah. Would you agree or disagree? Uh, I agree. And I think that there's, there's probably a bit of willful, willful ignorance in there. Um, I don't want to know so that I don't have to deal with it. Um, I think that I think there's going to be a lot of challenges that we don't see coming. Um, it's, a, it's, it's interesting to be sure. So, but but overall, yeah, I agree with you. So, yeah, I, was actually, I was actually looking. I was actually looking. Sorry, I was actually looking as you were talking. I, I something like has been kind of nagging in the back of my head, and I couldn't figure out what it was. When we talk about, um, I'm going to say labor and shortage in air quotes, right? Because there's people. Um, I do think it's interesting to look at, like, not the unemployment rate as much as like the size of the labor market, and and really what I was thinking about is, I wonder you know, with the hundreds of thousands that have been lost to the pandemic, how much of that really impacted the labor market itself? Like what does the U.S. labor force size looks like now? Because I think like, let's say, and I have seen the latest numbers, let's say we'll just use half a million, right? I know it's higher than that, but let's say half a million um, that have died because of COVID. Well, the ones who are most likely um, to be in the numbers are not the ones we would think of as being the heart of the labor market, right? So if we lost half a million, what did that do to the size of the labor market itself? And how much is that playing into the, we can't find people to do these jobs. Um, from what I can see, just at a quick glance, like the labor market size has risen. It, it peaked in February of last year. Uh, and now it's down to like 2008 levels. So we lost 12, 13 years of, of growth in the labor market itself, the number of people who are available to work. Um, that's just what I found off the top. That's something I want to dig into a little more. I think that's interesting. Are you still with me? I am. It works better when I'm not on mute. Um, no, I, I think that's interesting to dig into, too. You know, for those who are listening on download or maybe listening live, like, hop on over to our Facebook page. Let us know what you want to hear. We're booking guests for the remainder of the fall and for the winter. So we want to make sure that we're covering the topics that are important to you. Obviously, we want to cover topics that are important to us, too. 
but um, it shouldn't be one or the other. It can it can be both. So hop on over to our Facebook page at Drive Through HR. You know, send us a message, leave some comments. We're happy to to get the guests on and do the topics that you guys want to cover. Speaking of guests coming up, we have some um, shows that are going to be scheduled in the next few weeks. I'm kind of excited about. Um, I know one of them came from a a really unlikely place with with you. Do you want to talk about any upcoming guests that you might have? Uh, yeah. So we haven't got this on the schedule, but I know she's excited about it. So um, I met a uh, emergency room nurse. I won't tell the, the story around how I met her, but she's an emergency room nurse. So that probably gives you all the info you need. Um, so, but this was gosh, months back, we had this, um, had this discussion. She was working on a uh, wellness program for nurses and it had to do with, you know, like yoga and other kind of, you know, wellness and therapeutic pieces. And we got to talking about like what you might do to that, who are the right people to talk to and how do you get that message out? Um, and that was a few months ago. And we've talked a couple of times since then. And she has now taken this She's uh, spoken at a couple of conferences. They've developed an app so the nurses can have it like in the palm of their hand while they're working as a way to help them to de-stress, to recenter. Um, it's, it's obviously a critical job and it's obviously a high stress job. And so to have, you know, someone who lives on that front line um, and by the way, married to a fireman. So their entire life is, is built around helping others, which is pretty cool. Um, so she's got a, a ton of insight into kind of what, the market looks like for nurses, but also this great story of someone who's lived in it and came up with a way to make it better for everyone um, and has found some success in building that out. So we're going to get her on the show um, to share her stories. Um, just for anybody who's interested, um, treatthenurse.com is, is her website. Um, so that's a little sneak peek for anybody who wants to go see that, but it's a, it's a cool story and I'm looking forward to getting her on to be able to share it. I love innovation stories. I love hearing employees who see a problem and they're like, I can fix this. I can make this better. And then they do it. It's so great. Um, I'm looking forward to that one and not just because I've met her, which she's pretty cool. Um, I have, I have a couple guests that are coming up and they're kind of related, not by blood, but by topic, uh, but they're different. And so one of them is looking at learning opportunities. And as the, as the pandemic continues to, to drive on, um, you know, it, there's a question around how do we how do we learn? What can we do? And I think that there's some opportunity for our um, our our listeners to give us some feedback, but also to potentially see different opportunities for learning with virtual opportunities and conferences. And so I wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit more. And there's the Talent Brand Alliance Summit, which, full disclosure, I'm a board member for Talent Brand Alliance. Um, and have been part of TBA for a few years now. They're, so it's a great organization, and they're getting their summit put together for 2022. And we've had a lot of questions around and, and conversations around what does that look like with a seemingly never-ending pandemic? So, you know, I, I'm curious, have you heard anything? I know that there's been um, – some some conferences that have gone off, right, uh, in-person events. And, you know, have you heard people talking about what their plans look like for 2022 and, you know, questions around conferences? I've, I've, seen, a, yeah, I, I've seen a couple of notes about 
conferences that are looking for speakers and, you know, hoping to kind of get back to, to business as usual, whatever that is. I think that there's been some interesting innovations in virtual conferences, but like real talk for a second, half of the point of going to the conferences is networking and being with people and drinking with them and eating with them and talking to them and coffee with them and all those things. And there's, you know, indelible relationships we built through that, that I, I just don't think we can do remotely. Um, I don't know that, I, I feel silly saying things like, I don't think it'll ever be back. Who knows what it'll be back to? You know, we're, we're creatures of habit. We all want to be back to what we consider normal. There will be a, a segment of people who don't. And I'm, I'm confident that the remote attendee will, will be part of the conference world going forward, at least for a while, for a few years. Um, so I think we have to adjust to all those things. But honestly, when you think about conferences, like the people who are in the least danger of, of getting contact with someone who's uh, COVID positive are the speakers because they're not sitting yeah. in the audience surrounded by other people. You know, <laughs> we're up on the stage away from everybody else and, uh, you know, plenty of social distance from, uh, from everybody else. So. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I struggle back and forth. Like the, the last conversation we had with the, the TBA board group, and I don't think I'm saying anything out of turn here was really just there's conference organizers struggle with what are people going to want to do several months in advance, right? Sprinkle of what are employers going to allow you to do? Right, which we really didn't have as much of that before. Like before, it was your employer may or may not pay for a conference, but if you wanted to go, then whatever, you've got your time, you can spend it however you want. But but now there are actual policies in place prohibiting employees from travel. And I was talking with a, I, I won't say the organization, but it's a super large um, healthcare organization that um, that deals with the financial piece of healthcare. Uh, and she was telling me how, like, she can lose her job if she travels. Like, they, it's yeah. not even just, I, the company's not going to allow us to travel for business. Like, she can lose her job if she travels at all. Like, she has to get exceptions to be able to go if there's a family emergency or things like that. And I don't know how widespread that actually is, but, but it, was, it was fascinatingly terrifying to me at how much business can control our lives, right? I mean, I think everybody knows I own my own business, so I kind of set the rules for for me and mine, although our group, our company, you know, the rules that we have for the company are very much made as a group. I don't think it's my place to, um, to put my will on my employees, right? We should come up together with what works to meet our business objectives. But when you have an enterprise organization, that can get difficult to do. I just, I had never heard of anything like that. So I, I kind of looked at that and I was like, how do conference organizers, how do they um, plan for that? I guess you really can't for that kind of scenario, but yeah. I'm drifting off topic just a little bit. I, I was just fascinated by that in general. Like, I wonder how many people just aren't allowed to travel at all. So I, I think that the idea of being able to lock down business travel makes a lot of sense. Um I, I, an organization I was working with um, at the start of all of this, like they had a mandate to come back and cut a certain percentage. Like they cut salaries across the board by, I think it was 10%. And they came back and said, well, we have to cut, you know, our other outlays by whatever it was. And they were like, oh, hey, travel entertainment. Well, we're not going to do that. So great. We cut that out of the budget. We're there. I, I don't think they thought about the downstream of, you know, give it a couple of years and you're going to want to put that back in. So right. be ready for that part because that's not the way most accountants I've ever worked with 
uh, handle money. If they, you yeah. haven't had two years, why would you need it now? I, I do think it's interesting, the idea that you could potentially be fired for traveling in your personal life. Um, that feels like a huge overreach. Um, right? but, but I understand. Um, I understand the thought behind it, you know, and, and we both know, you know, people who have to log who they talk to. So that, yeah. you know, from a contract tracing perspective, if anything goes sideways, we've got good records. Um, so that, that feels like an overreach and it feels like a lawsuit waiting to happen to say, I can fire you if you go do something on your own time. Um, but it's, you know, just one of those new challenges we love. So great. Yeah. Well, for those of you who are not held to that level of um, restriction and maybe trying to figure out what do I, what is my learning plan? I will say if you're in, if you're in this, this mess, this pickle that so many of, of us are dealing with in terms of the great resignation and the difficulty attracting people and how do I present myself as an employer in a way that, that makes sense, that's authentic to who we are, that, you know, does touch on our aspiration without overreaching, like, that shows that we can be, I guess, somebody that, uh, an organization that a, a person would want to work for. You know, you do need to look at your learning opportunities because there's, there's a lot. There's just so much out there that's changed in the last 10 years, in the last five years, in the last two years that needs to be considered as you make your plans for 2022. And so the Talent Brand um, Alliance does have their summit in March. I love GSMI. And so if you're interested in that, we can post the link on the Facebook page. Um, we're also going to have Summer on going back to the original topic about guests who organizes the conference and Brian Chaney and Will Staney, who um, founded Talent Brand Alliance to talk about talent branding and, and what that looks like and why that should matter for those of you who work in HR and recruiting who are struggling to, to hire, what are things that we can do right now that are actionable and what can we future and then what can you get out of the learning opportunities that they provide. Uh, but there's also GSMI, I think has their, um, their, it's, I don't know what they're going to call it this time around, but um, they've got like the talent week that they put on a couple of times a year. It's been virtual. It's been in person. I don't know what it's going to look like for 2022, but as you plan for your budgets for next year, look and see what's out there. HR.com also has a really great running list of conferences and learning opportunities that you can dive into. I love their webinars. They have them all the time. Their learning opportunities or micro learning opportunities. So that would be another place to go. So, not to make this a shout-out show, but, but I think we're in budget season. So, you know, whether you're going to be learning virtually in 2022 or learning at a conference like the TVA Summit or something else, you know, you need to start planning for that now and getting your tickets because the earlier you get your tickets, regardless of what the conference is, I mean, it's almost a given you're going to get a better deal. So. Yep, I agree. And, you know, as we as we start thinking about, uh, webinars and training and all those kind of things. Um, Crystal, to your point, anybody who wants to hop on our site or our Facebook page and let us know who you want to hear from or what kind of things you want to hear about um, as we start to get everybody booked up for the winter. Um, you know, we love doing by request shows. So uh, anything that's out there, let's dig into it. Uh, I would, you know, I've always kind of looked at the technology piece. Um, I'm starting to look at some other things that I think might be of interest to listeners, especially getting around software platforms for kind of running your business uh, for the way we interact with our clients. Uh, I think there's some other really interesting things out there that we'll be talking about. Um, but, you know, values defined by the end user, right? So if you're out yep. there looking for so, something you want to hear, let us know. Absolutely. And on that note, while the platform thought we started three minutes late, 
we actually are out of time. So <laughs> we will talk with you again soon. Drive through folks. We're happy to be back. Have a great day.